This morning our sermon text is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. You'll find it on page 6 in your worship folder as well as up on the screen. You'll also find on page 7, if you'd like, there are, um, there's some space if you'd like to take notes or fill in the blanks with a couple of our key points or key takeaways from our message this morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ who came to give us rest. Dear Christian friends, this morning I would like a little bit of feedback from you. Because we're in the middle of this season of the year where the days are long, right? Uh, we fill them up with, with vacations and trips. And, and we, like, it's beautiful some of the time. It's been a little weird for Colorado this summer. But, but normally, like, we just can get outside and hike or bike or, or run or golf or just sit and breathe in another day of God's beautiful creation. So how are you doing at that? Because my experience is that the summer, while it often promises this magical allure because it's called summer vacation, I spend more time going and chasing and doing and trying to get all of the things done and, and feeling the pressure of family time and work time and I got to do this project and I got to take care of the yard and, and there's always more to chase after and to try to make the most of the moment. And it makes it really hard to ever feel relaxed, much less rested. So I want, to show, I want you to show me how your internal gas tank is doing today. We're going to do it like this, like a gas gauge, right? So on a gas gauge on a car, we'll look like this, right? E is one finger. You're running on empty. Two fingers is you got a quarter tank. Three fingers is I got a half a tank. Four fingers is I'm at three quarters. And five, baby, I'm full and ready to go. So, you can hold your hand up high if you want, but I'd like you to humor me and give me a little feedback. On a scale of one to five, show me the number of fingers of how full you feel your gas tank is today. Okay, I see, like, I would hope I'd see a bunch of fours and fives. We're middle of summer, like, this is good. But I see... I see a fair number of threes and a bunch of twos and even some ones. And so why is that? On top of it, man, you're running, you're running low, right? Half a tank or less. And, and what did you do? You got up and you came here today. Could have, it was a foggy morning. You could have spent an extra hour in bed, no problem, right? You could have, could have gotten caught up at some stuff around the house and, 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 and decompressed your week just a little bit. You could have gotten some things taken care of at home so when the weather clears, you can go out and enjoy a beautiful Colorado afternoon. But instead, you got up and you came here. And to that, I say, excellent choice. And you might be thinking, well, of course you say that. You're a pastor. It's your job. And it is, but there's actually a much bigger and much better reason for that. 
The reason I say excellent choice is because God wants to give you something that no amount of sleep, no number of of sleepy and quiet mornings, no amount of, of relaxing summer vacation time could ever give you. He wants to give you real rest. And that comes only through Jesus. So this morning, as we turn and dig into God's Word, into the very words of Jesus himself, we might be wishing he would give us like some wise advice about how we could shave a little more time off our week or, or, or be a little more efficient with this or, or prioritize a little differently. But instead, he's going to do what he so often does and repeatedly just point us at the thing that we need to focus on and trust in. So listen how Jesus begins this section from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. Jesus says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Pause there for just a moment. Because these verses sound not like they were recorded by a gospel writer, but by an undercover journalist who had finally heard the gotcha moment from Jesus. Right? And they sound like they fit into the narrative of the world today. It's, today, it's all about cover-ups and conspiracies and power dynamics. And there are people who point to these verses and say, See? God isn't so, so loving, so compassionate, so gracious. See? His agenda from the beginning has been to include some and exclude others. See? Jesus, then, is just like the world is right now. How could Jesus say that then? How how could he say these words? Well, these words weren't spoken in a vacuum. They were part of a conversation, right? Jesus was speaking to a crowd that was gathered, and he was speaking specifically about John the Baptist, right? The forerunner that had preceded him, preparing the way for the Savior, and who was now in prison for nothing more than preaching about God's word. And here's what Jesus said in the verses just before this, in verses 18 and 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. See, John the Baptist, if you remember anything about him from when we talked about him like in December He has a quirky diet, right, to say the least. He lived out in the middle of nowhere. He ate like wild locusts. It's odd, right? And so what did the, there were people who would dismiss him, right? They would say, oh, he's demon-possessed. He's not just crazy, he's demon-possessed. And then Jesus came, and he lived among the people, and he ate with the people and drank with the people. And, And what was the response? Oh, he's just a drunkard and a glutton. 
And he hangs out with people that he should know better than to associate with, much less be friends with. See, what Jesus was pointing out is the human heart of those people around him. The human heart that had looked for any excuse, any rationalization, any, any opportunity to try to logically dismiss what John and Jesus were both saying. He was pointing to the human heart that appealed and relied on, on flawed human wisdom so that it could just ignore what they were saying. It could ignore their calls to repentance, their appeals and offerings of forgiveness. These people weren't interested in what they had to offer and in Jesus or John, pointing out their sins, their failings, and as a result, they had no interest in hearing about anything about a Savior because they didn't really think they needed one. And that meant that they were relying on themselves. In their own way, they were trusting in their own ability to achieve a degree, right? A degree of sophistication or of outward goodness that would then give them God's favor, would give them rightness with God, give them salvation. But the message has been clear from God from the beginning. Unless your rightness, your achievement of, of outward doing is perfect, not, not pretty good, not kind of good, not I'm trying, but absolutely 100% perfect all the time, you and I, we cannot achieve it. We cannot attain it. Salvation comes only as a gift from a gracious God through faith. And that was the problem. Because it meant simple trust and reliance on, on Jesus, on God and his word, which meant that they couldn't trust and rely only on themselves. And that's a problem because that is what is wired into every human heart. We are born into this world by nature, self-reliant, pushing away God, anything that has to do with God, I'm going to do it, I'm going to figure it out, no God, I got this one. We have no interest in or time for God. And there's a problem with that. It's our first takeaway this morning. It's that by nature, my knowledge of God is hidden behind a wall of sin. This wall of sin separates me from God. And, and, and we can't see over it. And we can't see around it. And, and that means, therefore, we can't see or really know God. But we like to think we do, don't we? Yeah, God's good with this, right? We, we think that we know what God wants and how God thinks and what God truly approves of. And do you know what we tend to think God loves? Me and whatever I'm doing. Yep, it must be good. God will love it. I'm doing it. You know who that's made, to be, made out to be God? Me. But we think it anyway, right? We think that God really does 
really does approve of those who help themselves. That we can see the people God loves by, by what they drive and where they live and how they dress and how they live. We think that God's opinions, well, they just reflect ours. That what God thinks is what I think. Which couldn't be further from the truth. That's not really knowing God. That's just wanting God to be made in my image instead of realizing that I am a broken and flawed version of being made in His. And that means that all of my ideas and my thoughts about God by nature are broken and flawed and misguided. It's why Jesus praised the Heavenly Father here, our Heavenly Father, and not in a like evil laugh, sinister kind of a way. It wasn't praising God with a hold your nose in the air and thank you for keeping it secrets from those people down there. Oh, this was, this was praising our Heavenly Father because he had chosen to do something that was so simple. So simple, though, that actually our simple minds would never think about it. It was so simple that there was nothing that you or I have to do. God chose for sinful and broken people to know the almighty, eternal, all-powerful God. But not in the way that sinful and broken people think. And those who rely on their limited abilities or their flawed wisdom, well, they don't actually know God. Because God isn't revealed through human wisdom. God is revealed through the wisdom of his word, through the words of his son, through the forgiveness that he brings. That brings us to our second takeaway today. It's that true wisdom and knowledge of God only come by faith. Now, don't misunderstand, though. Jesus didn't want those people who rejected him, didn't listen to him. He didn't want them to be condemned for eternity just because he, they thought they were too smart for him or didn't want to listen to him. Read through the Gospels how often Jesus went back again and again and again, preaching and teaching, calling out, reaching out, pointing them to forgiveness, the forgiveness that he came to bring, to give to all people who trust in him. And then he showed glimpses of his power, right? Think of, think of the healings and the, the miracles, the incredible glimpses of his power, even raising Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb for days but instead of marveling at the glimpses of God's power, instead of listening to God's soul-piercing word expose their, their weakness and their limits and their failings, they use their human wisdom to, to rationalize, to justify, to excuse all of their failings and all of God's power. Thank goodness we would never do that. 
right? Or is, is it really more often than we'd like to admit? Right, those opportunities that come along and I know this is wrong, but I don't really care in the moment. I don't really, I don't really wanna know, I don't wanna think about what God has to say. I just wanna do what I wanna do because I wanna be in control. I wanna choose what's best for me. I wanna control my own destiny. And we figure, ah, God won't care it's not really a big deal. Nobody's else, nobody else is getting hurt. He'll probably forgive it anyway. And so what have we just done? In our minds, with our flawed human logic and reason and wisdom, we have just justified and excused our own failings and set aside God's wisdom and power and love. And if you look around, what do you see in the world? If you glimpse into your own heart, what do you see? You see the reality that all of the people who think that they can earn, they can achieve, they can attain, that they can be in control, it doesn't matter how relaxed your life is or how luxurious you might have it. There is no real rest. Because real rest comes only from Jesus. See, there's no real rest because our, our human wisdom and our, our, our reaching and achieving and attaining can only go so far. And they always leave us falling short of, of that thing that we know, the thing that we need, the thing that we want, but the thing that we can't get. They always leave us short of the answer and the hope. And that leaves us carrying around a lot of baggage. A lot of baggage that's filled with guilt, that's loaded up with shame, and we just go around lugging it here and there and everywhere. And no matter how many times we try, no matter how hard we try, we can't be free from it. We can't put it away in the back, right? The, the guilt, it, it builds and it looms. The shame, it, it, it lingers and it burns. And sometimes it eats away at us and it, it keeps us from sleeping, Sometimes we, we just keep ourselves so busy that we don't have to think about it. All we do is do, 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 so we don't have a quiet moment in our own heart or mind to actually think about what we've done. Sometimes it makes us so frustrated and so mad with ourselves that all we are is just angry all the time. But instead of showing that we're angry with ourselves and frustrated with ourselves, we just show anger to everyone. We try to do anything we can. Bury it, minimize it, excuse it. Anything we possibly can to be free from it. But we can never be free. That guilt, that shame, it follows us around and it robs us of rest. And it threatens to rob us of eternal 
rest. That's why Jesus offers us a gift that we can't achieve. Something we can't attain, something we can't earn. He comes to us and says, here, this is the thing you need. Listen to what he says, beginning at verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here is Jesus' answer. His answer to the, the guilt that robs us of peace, that, that fills us with anxiety and, and worry, that leads us to overcompensate with, with anger or arrogance. Jesus' answer is Jesus. It's our next takeaway that real rest comes from Jesus. So when you are weary, when you are weary of your frustrations, of the frustrations not just out there, the world around you, but the frustrations of, of your own heart, why did I think that? I, di I didn't say it about him or to her, but where did that even come from? Why would I think that? If you're frustrated with your own heart and your own ability to, to deal with your guilt, listen to Jesus' invitation. Because that's what it's for. To come to him and to do what we talked about in the children's message, right? Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I've got this load. I've got this and this, and this. And I've been struggling with this, and I've done that, and I have thought this. Forgive me. And what's amazing is that the God of heaven and earth who came here and faced nothing but disgrace and humiliation at the people so blind to the fact that he's God, you know what he does? He doesn't push you away or say, ah, I've heard that one too many times. You're on your own. He doesn't tell you so many strikes is the limit. He doesn't say you're going to you're gonna have to earn this one. No, the God who, who left heaven and suffered disgrace and humiliation, who, who faced rejection and abuse, who could have and should have walked away from a bunch of, of broken and rebellious people, trusted God's plan. He saw it through so that he could save you. So that he could go on that cross and he could take all of your sin and all of my shame and all of the baggage of the whole world and give his life as the payment for all of it. That's what Jesus did for you. To forgive you. To free you from your guilt to give you real rest. This isn't a God whose arms are crossed and begrudgingly well, well, lets you in. I guess this time I will. What does Jesus say? Come to me. This is a God whose nail-pierced hands are wide open, beckoning you, welcoming you, waving you in, 
because he longs for you to have the rest that he gives. Because real rest comes only from Jesus. But maybe you heard the last two verses and you're wondering about them. Because Jesus talks about taking a yoke and, and carrying a burden. And that sounds like there's still something I have to do. Except he says his burden is light. Like, how does that work? It's not light in the way that the world thinks about it. Because really, the burden Jesus gives to you to carry is to follow him. And, and it's not really even about the do's and don'ts of following him and being, being more right than wrong. Yes, he wants that, but it's really the following him is trusting him above yourself. It's not a bunch of things to do. It's not a a bunch of hoops to jump through or or boxes to check. It's about setting aside your self-reliance and your all-about-me-ness and keeping your heart and your eyes focused on him. It's something that in this world is impossible. Something that without faith in God can't be done and seems super difficult. But by the grace of God who lives in you by faith, it's something that you and I, we can do. It's it's really not that hard when we stay filled up with Jesus. It brings us to our last takeaway today. It takes faith, which is spiritual wisdom, to understand and embrace the burden Jesus gives to me. To carry that burden of trusting him, looking to him, finding my peace and my rest in in him. Because we humans, we are a smart bunch. But even our limited but our, our wisdom, our knowledge, it's all limited. And even if you harnessed all of it, you put it all together and you, you multiplied it by all the AI that we can come up with, we'd never actually find the solution that God gives. It's too simple. It, it's so simple that it's nothing that we have to do. It's no problem we have to solve. It, it's to simply trust Him. Because the answer is for you to have real peace, real rest. The answer is Jesus. So when your frustrations pile up, when your guilt looms, when your shame burns, take up Jesus on his invitation. Because that sinful heart, it, it wants to run away. And that's why Jesus has to invite us again and again and again and again. Come to me and I will give you rest. It's why I pray that this morning you got up an hour earlier. You made the trek in the fog. But you can leave here not with one or two or three bars on your gas gauge, but but with your heart filled up with your your soul refreshed, fully rested in the peace that only Jesus gives because you are at peace with God. Amen.